This is a Dece World production in association with Pants Pending Studios. This is Burr Martin of the Burr Martin Experience Podcast, or Selfie Dad, as I'm known around the internet. Now, I could tell you all about my podcast by throwing in some special effects or sound bites, but I'm not going to do that, all right? I'm a busy man, brother. I'm a C-minus internet celebrity. Look, I've worked in radio for over 12 years. I've produced about 15 different shows. I worked in a comic book shop. I've done stand-up, hosted events, and I was even voted Hero of the Week in the UK. My podcast is co-hosted by my wife, and we talk about anything and everything. And occasionally, one of our three kids will interrupt to tell us what what's going on in their generation. We talk about celebrities, politics, pop culture, and news stories you've probably never heard about. All right, we're radio friendly and we try and keep things upbeat. So join me every week for the Burr Martin Experience podcast here on the Pants Pending Studios Network. That's Burr Martin. So put a BM in your podcast catcher today and it'll be a... Hu- uh, who wrote the poop joke? I am a C-minus internet celebrity. Which one of you writers wrote that? You go back and you work for Late Night with Chevy Chase. That won't fly here. You are now listening to The Social Hour. They're not PC. So if occasional foul language turns you off, then you have all been warned. This is the call before the storm. The best reality check you can ever get in life is seeing the people that dating apps suggest to you. Get ready for the social hour. Live from Dece World Studios in Spokane, Washington, this is the social hour. On today's show, writer Christine Weimer. And now your host. Halloween is just around the corner. So now he can stop being self-conscious about wanting to wear his sexy nurse outfit. Deez-casius! Malam Keen, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is The Social Hour. I am Dees. Thank you for coming around for another episode of the show. We have a great one planned. Great guest lined up for you today. Uh, before we get into it with our guest, as usual, guys, um, shout out to our sponsor, Blue Spot Comics. Uh, go to Blue Spot Comics, your number one source for comic books, new back issues, rare variants, uh, graded comic books, and much, much more. You can find them at Blue Spot Comics on Instagram or Facebook. And tell them we sent you. Get an extra 10% off your first order. Uh, and always, guys, check out pantspending.com. New shows happening across the network still. Uh, episodes of the Burr Martin Experience, Never Ending Random Discussion, and much, much more still coming out for you all the time. So make sure you have that page bookmarked. And, of course, Go to DeeceComedy.com. Check out everything going on across uh, our little page there. We have uh, lots of new shows. We have live shows literally across the country from Florida to California. Um, So come and check out a live show near you. There's one happening. I guarantee it. And if not, there will be soon. So uh, go do that. 
And uh, that's it, guys. That's all the pay and the bills business. We're going to get into it with our guest today. Uh, coming all the way from New York this afternoon is a uh, <laughs> writer, publisher, uh, poet, much, much more. Uh, give it up uh, for Christine Weimer. Christine, how you doing? I am doing well. I'm actually really excited to be doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. This is uh, this is fun. I'm glad we could uh, make time to do this. It's so interesting. The you know, you asked the time difference before we get on the air. And uh, it's nice that like this, it took the pandemic for me to realize that I could do this show via Zoom. Like literally almost all my shows were someone uh, in my physical audio studio at my house or actually me on traveling on the road and using like, you know, tr mobile equipment to record these shows. And then I realized I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, I'd never even heard of Zoom before the pandemic hit. Me neither. Me neither. I had no idea. No. And now I don't know what I would do without it. I live on Zoom. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I never even really use like FaceTime or any of that crap. No. Before. Uh, but Me now neither. Like, oh, this is so convenient. Yeah. This is, it really is the future we live in. It's crazy. I feel like if anything, it made things a little bit more personal again, because I'm not somebody who likes to be on the phone, who likes to be on FaceTime, who's ever really face to face with people. It's like, shoot me a text and be done with it. So it's like once Zoom and like the pandemic happened, everybody was just like, craving some form of human interaction it like kind of brought me back to a space of getting personal with people again seeing them face to face having face to face conversations that to some degree I wasn't even having prior to the pandemic like I I should have been you right. know so I'm yeah. actually grateful yeah so it is a very very different thing and it's uh it is nice to to be able to have that interaction or be able to still connect I think it really helped people get through the pandemic right like they were able mm -hmm. to feel like they were seeing people uh, that they weren't normally seeing otherwise or able to see during the pandemic because what a crazy I mean what a crazy time that uh I mean you were, were you living you were living in New York during that whole time yeah I'm born and raised in New York City I know no other home but this one so um yeah, this is this is it for me for sure. But I I resonate with what you're saying because it shook everything up absolutely. But like I said, also really brought some of the personal back. I started my business the day that New York City went into lockdown. Oh, like really? that was the day I launched my company. So it was like, but really have it opened up a lot of Zoom and this internet virtual lifestyle yeah. opened up a lot of doors for me creatively, believe it or not. Which sounds weird because it's like it's such a sad and crazy and scary time but um it did it it allowed me to get personal again well it's funny you said you said that uh, you you live in new york and also before the show you said that you had uh the people coming to mow your lawn where in new york do you have lawn what part of new york yeah. do you live in that you have people mowing lawns and stuff yeah. So I live in Queens and it's funny because we are in apartment buildings. Like I'm staring at an apartment building outside my window. I live in an apartment building. So I'm in like, right. I'm right outside Manhattan and um, yeah, maintenance, man. We keep it pretty around here. Okay. We have some grass and the occasional tree and small variations of nature. <laughs> I have a driveway that I set up a garden in and that's, that's what I do. I love sure. to garden. So I, I've done my best to make it work living in an urban area for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Well, at least you get a little garden and stuff. I've never I've actually never been to New York, despite uh, all the places I've traveled. That's the one place I've I'm not the one place. It is one of the places that I've never actually uh, been to in my life, though. 
Wow, I'm actually surprised to hear that, especially considering that you're a creative, that you're a comedian. How come you never made your way over here? There's there's shit going on over here for you. That's what I've heard. But a part of it is that I, you know, I haven't had the need, right? Like I've I've been able to, especially doing comedy, I've been able to sustain a comedy career uh, pretty well, just kind of going through the Northwest, Southwest. I go through the South. I've been in the Southeast. I've just never made it to the Northeast. Um and I mean, to be honest with you, it's those markets are difficult to get into and generally oh. not very lucrative unless you're a really big comic. Uh, so it's like, I, you oh. know, it's like it's a lot of work for maybe not enough payoff for me at this point in my career. You know, like I, okay. I, I certainly would love to in some capacity, but also like, you know, I got to go places that make sense. I don't want to go you know, do showcase at places and pay to stay in New York and make $20 a show when I can, you know, yeah. do theater. Yeah. Get paid in a couple side. of drink tickets. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's a, it's just a different, you know, at a certain point you kind of have to figure out like, yeah, hey, maybe I just, maybe New York will just never know me. <laughs> no, New York needs to know you. New York needs to know everyone at some point. I mean, I'm saying I'm talking all this, but I, I can't wait to get out. I definitely am looking to get as far from a city lifestyle as I possibly can in, in my old age. Are you? I think, yeah, yeah. I'm over the city, like all of every ounce of it for I, sure. <laughs> I can imagine. How can I ask how old you are? I'm 30. You're 30. Okay. So like, that's, that's a, that's an age where you kind of have to make a decision of like, do I want to get out of the city or am I just committing to this lifestyle? And that in the next decade, I'm going to have at least three stab wounds and hate everyone. <laughs> like It's so true. Like, honestly, <laughs> for me, the stab wounds, it's like, whatever I've learned, you know, how to walk my, my city streets, but it's my kid. I'm a single mom. So oh, it's yeah. like, it's just me and her. And I, yeah, I don't really know how much I want for her to, to live this sure. lifestyle. I feel like, I feel like it was, I'm blessed for the um, the street smarts, the common sense, the culture of New York City. But in so many ways, it is just it is so congested and crowded. And even listening to you say, you know, coming to New York City is like it's a tough market. It's like I, I don't want my daughter to feel that she would ever be limited in her creativity yeah. living in a city where she might not noticed you know so yeah I, yeah well i mean you yeah. can that's kind of what i found is as my career started going in the last you know especially in the last you know comedy is the type of thing you do for 15 years before you really ever get you know 10 15 years for you feel like you're doing it you know um right. so in the last six years or so things have really extrapolated quite a bit and you. I, you know i thank you i just but i found that i kind of because i'm from la you know i i from LA originally okay. and I did comedy there and people are always like why'd you leave LA if you did comedy I'm like because fucking there's a million people there and a million mm -hmm. people that want to do something and there's they'll all do it for cheap or nothing um and really with the advent of the internet you can kind of be anywhere and connect to everyone um yeah you know it's like I don't need to be next to Caroline's or I don't need to be next to the comedy store in Hollywood if I mm -hmm. can get to those places, I can, you know, I can, I'm near an airport, but I mean, there's a million places I can do comedy, you know, within and be home the same night, even for me. So it's like, yeah, no, I resonate. I get what you're saying. I resonate with that. And, and like I said, it's so funny to me too, because I'm somebody who 
as I thought that I was going to be like this Carrie Bradshaw, Carrie Bradshaw, Sex in the City, like working in Manhattan in my rooftop apartment, like living the hustle and bustle life, yeah. you know, working for some big hot shot magazine or newspaper, whatever. Like I envisioned that lifestyle my whole entire like childhood. And then when I got to the point where I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm slowly trans transitioning into adulthood. And I guess I have to like choose a career and figure out who I want to be. Yeah. I completely started denouncing creativity because of so many of those reasons. I'm like, I'm a dime a dozen. There's so many like me, starving artists, blah, 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 drilling through my head. New York City is flooded with people who are yeah. just like me, who want to make it big in the concrete jungle. And I totally denounced my creativity because of those notions. I mean, thankfully, I found my way back and realized that a lot of those notions aren't necessarily true or fair to me. But in many ways, I get where you're coming from because you do want I mean, now, once again, with the powers of the internet, we can be wherever we want to be, but creating some form of a, a hometown community with people who resonate with what you're doing or who are doing what you're doing yeah. is a big deal. And I was petrified of that, knowing that <laughs> New York City was where I had to find my place. Like me, like the poor little girl from the suburbs, like hell freaking no, <laughs> like I was going to drown. And so I was like, hell no, no creativity for me. And I I shelved it for almost a decade, honestly, because of that. Yeah, that's tough to to kind of feel that way. And then also, f do you ever have the feeling that you're really behind uh, behind the eight ball because you did put that up for uh, up for a decade that you didn't, you know, you had a decade of time where you should have been or could have been at least pursuing that? Oh, gosh, every single day I, I feel like I um yeah, I, I smack myself for that a lot, although I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned when I wasn't living in my creative space. But yeah. I yeah, I think yeah, if I had just let go of this fear that this star that starving artist concept that I, I sure. had to be somebody to be somebody instead of just being me, like if I would have given that up maybe I would have stepped into the creative space a lot sooner. Maybe I would have been doing open mics in my early twenties instead of just literally starting to do it the past couple of weeks, yeah. you know, and, you know, things like that. Absolutely. But um, also in many ways, I think it's just a personal journey. Like you, you gotta, you gotta go through those spaces of really asking yourself what it's worth. And yeah. um, writing was always my thing. And even when it left, it was still my thing. And when it came, it came back to me, it found me and it found me again. Like, that's yeah. what I will always say. So um, yeah, I guess I just had to had to go through it and see the difference between that melting pot of that I thought I wanted versus creating my own space, yeah. I guess, is really what happened. Well, I mean, yeah, the that's a valid point, though. I mean, things, things that you're truly passionate about, you're inexorably tied to. Uh, and will c consistently come back up in your life, you know, and maybe, yeah, like you said, maybe it was better that you had that time to not do it because you might have done it the wrong way um, mm -hmm. for so long, not had lessons, not have that kind of those the the wherewithal of life to kind of cr navigate it because it's a very tricky thing. It can be uh, financially tricky at times uh, because it's not it's not an A to B, you know. You know, I talk about it with comedy all the time when people ask me about it, like, you know, how does it work financially? I'm like, well, some gigs are not very good. And then some gigs are way better than they should be. And event at, at the end of the day, it, it 
averages out and it makes makes money. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's it's not like, a, well, if I put this many hours in, I'm going to get this much back on my paycheck and they take this much out. Yeah. It's not like that. You know, there's no there, yeah. there's no like I make twenty two dollars an hour. Like you don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't. It's not like that consistency where you yes. can bank on it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get that. That's so true. And that's also something that I think scared me a little bit in the beginning too. in in stepping into a lifestyle like this is we're told that stability means a nine to five, you know, we're told that stability is corporate. We're told that that's what is going to give us the, the, the stability, the sustainability, the security that we want, even though it's kind of false, but yeah, that, that was a big deal for me. It's like, okay, how is the how is this going to work financially? I'm yeah. grateful that I was able to get myself to a point where I could leave my nine to five within a year of doing this. But I also think that's because I took such a long road to get there. I took the 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 time, I guess, to really figure out, like I said, what it what it was going to be worth for me. And then I realized, I think what it is, is I think we I think I, I thought people were paying attention a lot more than they were. And I was so worried about what everybody was going to say about what I was doing because I was in a creative space. And then I just kind of realized literally nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cared what I was doing, like, yeah. you know, and, and, and that helped too. That helped me too, to just be like, I'm going to go all in on this shit. Like this is, this is what I'm meant to be doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting trying to find your audience like that because there is a certain, you know, I, I don't know if you've found this at all, but in the, in today's day and age of TikTok and like 37 second videos and, and lack of attention, lack of attention span, like trying to do anything that requires real keeping someone's attention for any length of time, especially from the ground up, that's not you know, a, a remake of a, of a star Wars movie or something like this, something that's already embedded in our culture that every, you know, the next Marvel movie is going to keep people's attention, but you know, it's the reason they don't make new movies. Really. They don't make new idea movies because they don't want to invest in something that may not work. They can just make another Marvel movie and it'll make a billion dollars. So, so, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you find that, that kind of culture of today, lack of attention span, uh, interesting to navigate or difficult at times with, with what you do? I love that you ask that question because see, I, I consider myself above all, like above just creation and writing. Like I am an, I'm a story advocate. I believe in the power of storytelling. I believe that every single human on this planet is a story, has a story to tell. And then that is what is going to lead them through every single aspiration and desire that they have in their lives is when they step into that truth of story. Right. So for me, and I, was I worried about it? Yeah. Because it's like, I'm not somebody who wants to follow trendy reels on IG or like, you know, feel like I need to um, be in that space of following what seems to be working on the internet. But I think what made the difference was the fact that I stuck to my story So it was like, I tell people all the time that people didn't buy my book and people didn't want to work with me because I wrote great poetry and I know the most about publishing. They wanted to work with me because I came up on my platform, said, I don't give a F what the algorithms are saying. I'm just going to come up here and I'm going to be so freaking honest with my audience about what's going on in my world. And that meant more than any kind of attention span because people were able to relate to that 
sense of honesty. People who hadn't even been through what I had gone through were still reaching out to me saying, oh my God, like I, I love to hear that you were being so honest about your life and about your, your, you know, your creative journey and all of these things that I think really we want trends and it's, we want everything to be so digestible for us. But at the same time, there's nothing that connects us greater than our stories than just living in our truth. So now to this day, like now I don't have any fears of that whatsoever because yeah. I can make a 10 minute IG. And I know that as long as, a, you know, an IGTV on Instagram, and I know that as long as I am being totally transparent with my audience, that they're going to listen because yeah. they want to know that they're not the only ones. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still that audience out there. It's uh, do you find that it's harder to cultivate or connect, like find that audience? Um, you know, whereas people are, I don't know, I guess, I guess people are so disconnected from emotions and feelings and people that trying to find, you know, people are disconnected from themselves. It seems like, so trying to find people who are well, really, yeah want it you know i mean they're out there it's i just feel like it's more difficult to cultivate that these days well i think um no i actually have to say no i think that everybody is in a space where they're like what the hell am i doing i'm not really sure who i am and where my next move is in so many yeah. ways i feel like there's like this universal like stripping and breaking down and up leveling that's happening in so many people's worlds right now um that no, I think if anything, it's been easier to cultivate my audience because of the fact that they just want to know that we're all in this space together. And yeah. it sounds, it sounds a little pretentious, but I don't, I have never sought out an audience. I have never pitched or like said, I need to create content so that I can gain followers or get new clients. Like I literally am just living in my creative space and watching the magnetism of that yeah to be honest with you so which sounds kind of crazy i've never really said that out loud before but it is the sh just the truth and i really think it's it's simply because of the fact that like you know i i there is this persona that here i am as this single mom you know going to school running her business wearing all the hats keeping a home blah 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 putting that all out on the internet wow that all sounds so beautiful while also constantly breaking down the stigma and making sure my audience knows that I am a motherfucking mess. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing day to day. <laughs> Most times I wake up and wonder, is this worth it? Am I worth it? And knowing that that's okay, you're like knowing that I'm allowed head. to feel those uh. things. <laughs> and I think that people are just like, oh, wow. So I can be both. I can have that duality. And then they stick around. <laughs> yeah. Well, and being genuine and having a genuine voice and like, you know, that's People can really sniff out disingenuous uh, nature or, you know, mm -hmm. in, in not they don't even know what they're like sniffing sometimes like they don't even know what it is. They just know there's something about like, uh, I don't know. I don't like this person and they can't yeah. pinpoint why. But it's because that person isn't being genuine. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, that just that comes out so much. We like humans feed off. I, like the minutia and like transmit things like through osmosis in a weird way that we don't even realize. Um, mm -hmm. And really people pick up on it. It's, it's huge. So. Yeah, no, it is. It's true. And I think that's what it was for me. It was just that I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do anything than just make this as transparent as I can. If I'm going to advocate for story, then I have to be a living, breathing story every yeah. single day. And I work with a lot of women who have tough stories to tell. And so I just feel like it's like, 
it's kind of like a duty of mine. And once again, I creativity lost me for so long and came back to me when I needed it most through rather traumatic experiences. So I just, I feel like it was given to me in that light of building community around that growth. And yeah, I just, I do feel that it's very organic and very natural the way that it has come. I mean, ask me in six months and then maybe I'll be like, yo, how do I get a gig or two? But I don't know, like so far, <laughs> so far so it's far, going gangbusters. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I got to ask, you said, uh, you said you were thinking about leaving New York. Where are you thinking about going to? Well, I have to say, I, I don't 100% know if I want to leave New York. I think I want to go um, out of farther out of the city, out of the city. up to the mountains. I would love to be in a place where I like have no neighbors and nobody can find my house unless they like really look for it. And I want a lot of land and a tiny little house. Like that's that's what I want. Are there places internet- like are there places <laughs> like that in New York State? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I, you drive 40, like I'm about 25 minutes from Manhattan. If you were to drive maybe 20 more minutes onto the other side of Manhattan, you're in, you're up in the mountains. You're in beauty really? for sure. Like the Catskills, oh, the Poconos, all of it. Yes. You oh can definitely God. get I some no of the idea. most I, I no beautiful scapes for sure. Do you, do you have a car living in Manhattan, New York? No car, right? I don't have a car. I don't have a license. I don't have a permit. My bus stop is right on one corner. <laughs> There's that leads to one stop to take me to my trains that lead me to any place and any borough. And then up the block on the other side, literally on my corner is my supermarket and my coffee shop yeah. and my pizzeria and my laundromat. And so, no, I do not drive yet. Have you? I have, do not drive. Have you ever driven a car? I have driven a car. I was actually a really good driver for quite some time. My mom taught us when we were fairly young. And then one day, a bird, I don't know how he died, but he died and he he fell on top of the hood of the car while I was driving. And I got scared. And instead of hitting on the brake, I, I pushed onto the gas and I hit the car in front of me. And I was traumatized <laughs> i was like i'm never driving again and now i was like maybe 17 when that happened and i never got behind the wheel never again. drove again huh God. no no oh, i no. did once actually in an emergency um because a friend was too drunk but no i nope uh, but i have to do it i do have to because obviously i, I want to leave the city yeah, but no you, i don't yet <laughs> that's such a weird thing to me about the difference between LA and New York is that in New York, it's a non-driving town. That is part of the mm-hmm. culture. In LA, it's such a driving city. You could really LA is a non-functional. If you don't have a, if you don't drive, LA isn't functional to live in. There's, it would be. Wow. I would find it nearly impossible to live in LA without driving. Wow. Oh, yeah. see, I actually didn't know that. That actually surprised me. I assumed that there was more of a a bus system than there was trains, but I didn't know that it wasn't as mobile. There's a little bit of both, but they're both nearly unusable. <laughs> uh, they're wow. just, they're just kind of, they're just kind of like, uh, uh, mobile homeless shelters essentially <laughs> is what they are. Uh, and then you, that's essentially what the, what the, what the bus system is. And they only go from like other, non-mobile homeless shelters to care <laughs> that's all they are uh and it's not it's not a walkable city too it's not like new york where it's this sprawling urban mecca where it's very walkable and very easy to get around places like there i know people who live in new york and like 
yeah, everything I need is, you know, in a 10 block radius of my house. Like I don't go much mm-hmm. further than that. And if I do, I take the yeah. train. Uh, whereas in, in California, like there's in LA, that is not the case. You know, there's nothing that's, you don't live close to much and the places that, you know, you go downtown and it's not like everything's just far away. Everything is far away from each other. There's not convenient that way. No hashtag can't relate to that, but I'm hoping (laughs) that I can soon, to be honest with you. I am definitely hoping. And once again, now that I have my kid, man, like I want to take her to all the places and do all of the things. So it's like, I got to get my ass on the road. I know I do. So I definitely, and I have actually been to LA and I loved LA. I thought it was when I was there. (laughs) It was a long time ago, but (laughs) I loved it. I mean, I have family that lives in the Valley. Okay. Um, So I have visited. I also have friends in, in, is it Ojai? Ojai. Ojai? Yeah. Ojai is a place. Yeah. Ventura County, that area. So yeah, so I've been to Cali before. I actually have considered like making some routes there, but then I'm like, why am I going to go from one big city basically to the yeah. other? Yeah, it didn't quite resonate. So I'm like, no, in the mountains where nobody knows me and I can just get on Zoom once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's actually part of the reason I ended up where I am in uh, Washington State now is to just get out of the city. And I can, I mean, mm-hmm. it was because I lived in the Northwest for a while, then moved back to L.A., and then ended up moving back to the Northwest in a different area than I lived before, but a little bigger city than I was before, but not, uh, where I live now is the second biggest city in Washington state, but we are, see, we're on the opposite. So Seattle's on the water on the West side. I am on the complete opposite side of the state. I'm close to Idaho. And, um, we, it's nice because I can drive 20 minutes in any direction, be lost in the woods, like completely away from everyone. And that's that's really what I love because yeah, when I was living in LA, I moved back for a while, and I real something was like I was just always kind of on edge for like five years. I lived back there, and I was just kind of always a little irritable, something under my skin. And I realized one day, I'm like, oh, I can't escape people. Like yeah, you even if you go to like a Walmart parking lot, uh, there's no place you can park where there's not. You're not jammed with cars. Like here, I could go to a parking lot of a, a Costco and I could park in a back corner and there'd be no one around at least. It'd be like, I'd have like a 30 foot radius of no people. Like you can't get yeah. that in LA. Uh, so it's nice to have that little break sometimes. So I get what you're saying. But I wanted to move to the mountains and have some space. Yeah, I do. And quiet too, peace and and a bigger garden, maybe a chicken or two okay. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, get yeah the, get I don't the... know how I became that person though. Like I said, I was gonna be Carrie Bradshaw in Sex in the City wearing my Jimmy Choos. Like that's what I thought <laughs> I was gonna want for sure. And now I'm like, where are my vans and my sweatpants? Yeah. And where can I hide? <laughs> yeah, well, you get you get to a certain age where like the city is not that appealing anymore. It seems great yeah. at a certain but when you're like, ah, I don't I don't really go out a lot or I don't, you know, do the city life stuff, you're like, ah, I kind of want to just it to be quieter when I'm at home. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the only like empowering thing, which once again, I'm, I'm so new into stepping into the space is that it really is a very creative city and it really is loaded with so many artists who are living through their art every single day, whether they do have their nine to fives, but know that their art is their life. And stepping into that was definitely something that almost for a second made me say to myself, could I ever leave simply because I came into it now as an adult with a different appreciation for um, how many people stay in this city 
so that they can continue to yeah. be in that space. And so they can continue to pursue those aspirations. Like for me, I'm, I, I'm still, I'm not hundred percent sure it's worth it for me. I, I don't see the gain in that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a spoken word artist, but really I, I just, I want to write, I want to storytell, I want to help other yeah. women do their thing, you know, and, and I work a lot in, in startup and things like that too. So it's like, yeah. So, but part of me for a while was like, no, like this is too beautiful to pass up because all of these people are just living through what I always wanted to live through. And still, even to this day, like having published two books and having worked with over a hundred women so far in the past two yeah. years, like I still don't fully feel I, I like I, I belong where I belong in this conversation. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, this happens with LA too. And I've heard people from New York kind of say this, but it's part of it is feeling like, there's some sort of like clout that comes with saying, oh, I'm, I, I'm from New York or I live in New mm -hmm. York. Same with LA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, I've known comics that want to move to LA so they can say, yeah, I'm a comic from LA, you know, yeah. because it, it sounds like something else. And it's, um, in a sense, I think it's kind I think you're doing the right thing. Cause it kind of sounds, it's almost like cheating, you know, it's like saying, it's like saying you, you know, want to be in a basketball player and wanting to say you play for the Lakers. It's like you instantly, it instantly sounds cooler than playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. I guess that's a bad <laughs> example. They just won the championship this last year. Uh, <laughs> well, that does sound cool right now. Uh, that that's actually, you know, what? it's a great example. That's how lame playing for the Milwaukee Bucks sounds. They just won the championship and it still sounds right. shitty to say you play for the Milwaukee Bucks. Right, right. <laughs> so that's that's a perfect example. Uh they're the reigning world champions. I'm like, that would fucking blow. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so Yeah. You know, no it's true though. But but I mean, you know, to say, but then again, to be able to go to a place like to keep the analogy going, to Milwaukee and make a championship seems like you've done accomplished a lot more than going to uh you know playing for the knicks and winning a yeah. championship yeah no it's and you know what it's funny that you say that too i have um my daughter's father her his sister um came from new york city and to north carolina she lives now mm -hmm. and um oh my god she because she was a she's a photographer when she went from New York City to North Carolina and marketed herself as a New York City photographer. Oh. You would have think like you would have thought like who she they thought she was. Right. Like what? New York City photographer. Like that's all she had to say. Yeah. And in high fashion. She used the word high fashion <laughs> New York City photographer. Meanwhile, the bitch didn't make a dime before she went to North Carolina. Right. She was totally just exploring her creativity, <laughs> but that's all they needed to fucking hear. And now it's like, you know, here's my business, reeling it all in. It, and it's, and to me, it doesn't, I, it doesn't, that doesn't align to me. It doesn't with me. It doesn't feel like something that I would for personally like, sure. Yeah. I'm a New York city writer, you know, yeah. like now, and once again, that doesn't have an appeal when I was 12 and I was too young watching sex in the city. Yeah. It had appeal, but now it's like, yeah, I'm from New York, but I got to tell you, it's sometimes not all it's cracked up to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine. And it, like you said, especially being, you know, a single mom, how does the idea of raising a, a kid there, uh, what's, I mean, what's, 
what's that look like? I mean, that's got, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know. I get mixed reviews of New York. People like, ah, it's, it's, it's not as bad. It's it's great now. It used to be bad. And other people like, nah, it's getting worse than it ever has. So, I mean, what's yeah, the I think reality? After the pandemic, after the pandemic, things changed. See, for me, it's like, I, like I said, I, I had my daughter thinking like, um, yeah, we were going to be these, these people from New York city. But I, I started to realize the quality of life is just, so different i mean first of all being a single mom in a city where i don't drive um is is still difficult in and of itself like i I still struggle now like with her you know being the bitch with the umbrella stroller going on the bus with the diaper (laughs) bag and the whole thing it's like no wonder i don't leave my house even after you know we're allowed out so it's like you know there's that but i think for the most part for me it's the congestion it's the 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 sense that she doesn't um I want her to be in solitude without feeling lonely. And I think that it's very hard to do that in New York city to sit in your solitude without feeling lonely. Cause you're so used to so many people that yeah. it's like, where's the people, where's the liveliness. If I'm alone, I must be lonely type of a thing. And I, I don't want that for her. Um, so I think her, having her is really what sealed the deal for me. Like, no, I want to get out of here. I don't want yeah. her to feel like a speck in this big huge world like she'll always know her roots but yeah i I want her to be in a in a in a in a space where she can be seen and she can feel more visible because i definitely think and it's a misconception in many ways because you can find ways to be visible but it it was something that i struggled with and i don't want her to experience that either especially because i i do hope that she follows a creative path no matter what that ends up looking like and in what medium it ends up showing up but um so yeah i want her to have more free range to do that and i and while new york city is loaded with all of these creative beings so many of them are like they need their nine to fives and they need to say that art is just a side thing and thank god art doesn't pay the bills and i know that there's a way to do it yeah. and i know there's a way to make your art pay your bills and if new york city doesn't provide that for you then it's time to go. And I realized for me, it makes no difference. Why the, why the heck not just get the heck out of here while I can. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. I mean, do you think that it's harder to maybe find your identity as a person or as an artist also as a extension of that in a city like New York or in an area that's that, uh, large, any metropolitan area like that, because you're constantly kind of comparing yourself to other people and what yeah. what peers, uh, whether it, you know, just growing up as a kid or or even artistically, are doing, you 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 feel like there's this level uh, that you're never living up to. So it's more you're you're almost trying to emulate instead of create. Absolutely, uh, that's a great way to say it too. And like I said, that's everything. I mean, when you think of New York City, you think and you watch all the movies as a kid. Everybody comes to New York City to make it: dancers, singers, artists, the whole bit. I'm going to go to New York City. Yeah. Like that's what everybody thinks, you know. So for me, having already lived here, I learned very quickly that the, just because I live here doesn't mean I have that kind of advantage. I'm still in the same pod as everybody else. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I. And it was something like you know. Sus- in society with friends and family, my family, especially like, you know, when I would, I, Oh, I never not wanted to be a writer. Like since I was a kid, that never path never changed from the moment I had my first diary. So it was like, but when I would tell people that it, their response to me was, well, you know, there are so many of you, like, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do for money? What are you going to do for this? And I, I knew it was because there was this 
conception of competition associated with my city that like there's there's too many of us and you have to be extra special or, or have a, a a mostly unique niche that nobody else is doing and what makes you stand out and all of the things and yeah you always want that no matter what you do but for sure it was very difficult to find my mode of comfort in knowing that the starving artist stigma doesn't actually exist. It's a mindset that we create, we created. There is room for everyone to do their art anywhere. And I really do believe that and advocate for that. But I, yeah, I struggled. Like I said, I got to a point where it was just like, nope, my voice isn't good enough. I, there's so many people like me. There's so many people better than me. So I shelved it. And I, I quit college after knowing that school was all I ever wanted. I busted my ass to get a full scholarship to my dream school for journalism, ended up not even going because I was like, I'm going to fail at this. And so I went to go work with my family's business. I worked in accounting for like a million years. <laughs> that's like, gotta, that's, that's like the worst job for a did. creative person. Accounting oh seems like God. the worst. It's just formulas and numbers that are rigid and stringent. There's and no- I'm bad at good at it like I, I'm, I'm not it's not my thing it was never my thing and I I was I was miserable through it all but it was just like this is my life I was I was earning a great paycheck but I think and and it's funny too because it was like what happened for me the way it happened for me was like in 2015 ish you know I was like crawling out of my skin knowing I needed the change and so I thought that maybe if I you know I left my job working with my family at the time at freaking at my age, bringing home $900 a week was a lot of money, yeah. you know, and then I quit that job. And I took a job working from home that I was only making $150 a week. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna fucking figure this shit out, because I can't be miserable doing what I don't want to be doing anymore. Right. So the job was in a similar field, but more creative freedom for me to do what I wanted. So I finally went back to school and did the thing, but I still wasn't writing. Because I was like, that's not going to make me money. This is New York City. Like, yeah. I'm not Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not all these things. You know, like, I'm not the Danielle Steeles of the world, even though she's not from New York. But I'm just saying, like, I'm not this, so I can't do this. I need something regular. I need yeah. something normal. You know, so, yeah, I didn't have an identity until, until honestly, I I experienced some hardship in my pregnancy, my my daughter's father and I separated while I was still pregnant. I found out he was in another relationship when I was about four or five months in. And oh, so wow. we separated and I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody because I was like the bitch who lost a man and I was going to be a single mom and the whole freaking thing. So I didn't tell a soul and I just started writing about it again. And I didn't even know it was happening, but I just started writing. Yeah. And so that's why I say when it came back to me and then that's when I realized that's my identity. My identity is just having something to say. And then slowly it was like, screw New York City. I don't need this city to validate whether or not I can be an artist. Yeah. And then it all kind of started changing. So sorry, that was long winded. No, that's but okay. Yeah. That's it. So, the, so uh, the breakup was the, kind of the catalyst of putting you back in that creative space. Is that what? what... Everything. It's the reason why I wrote Tainted Lion Heart. It, I wrote for over 400 poems originally for that book. And by the time I was up to that, I was like, oh my God, I wrote a book here. So yeah, it was, it was totally that relationship. I had no place else to put my pain. Yeah. And I was too scared to talk about it. So that's what I did. I didn't tell my family until months after my daughter was born that we were not together and that he, you know, everything that happened. So yeah, so it was, it was definitely the reason why I found my way back, which is why it was like, 
I need to be so transparent about my messages on my social platform because women, especially like, cause that's my thing. Women need to realize that they can create in these messes. They can yeah. create in their trauma. They can create while they're growing and expanding and going through shit. And sometimes that's enough because it ended up being enough for me. So that's kind of how galaxy even, you know, my pop, my press, that's how that even came to be was because of the other women who were like, wow, thanks for being honest. Can you help me do this too? Yeah. 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 Now, now kind of walk us through the process, how that happened. So you, you wrote, you've written a couple of, uh, uh, poetry books. Um, yeah. Tainted Lionheart is the first one. You've got a second one and a third one on its way. Uh, galaxy press, your, uh, publishing kind of house. What do you to tell us how that, I mean, which one happened first? The, the book you wrote, started writing the poetry. Is that what happened? Yeah. First? Yeah. So I started writing the poetry. I realized I had enough for a book and I started taking that idea seriously. I started doing research in publishing. I registered for college again and went back to school for writing, oh, wow. um, which okay. I don't recommend anyone do ever, but um, just fucking write. But yeah, so I went back to school and I wrote this book and I started shopping it around and I started saying, okay, do I want to self-publish? Do I want to traditionally publish? And I, I, what I, I didn't like what I was seeing in the industry, if I sure. can say, I didn't, I didn't like that. Um, choosing a traditional press meant that maybe I wouldn't be able to keep the integrity of my work or the fact that self-publishing gave me no resources for success. I was going to have to do so much on my own. Yeah. So really what it was, was I was starting to share my poetry, letting people know that I was writing this book and women started reaching out to me and they started saying like, wow, you're going to publish like, wow, you're writing. This is so great. I've always wanted to do this. Here is my story. This is what it is. And so I sat down with my friend, my best friend of 22 years. And I looked at her and I was like, Lindsay, I think we need to figure out how we can do this for other women too. And my book hadn't even come out yet. It yeah. was not released, but I was like, Lindsay, we need to figure out how to help other women do this. We need to figure out how to get these women to live in their truth and, and, and share their stories. And she was like, fuck yeah, we do let's do this shit. And she came up with our galaxy as a title of the press in like the first five minutes that I brought her this concept. And so galaxy was born literally because of the women. It wasn't even because of me. Like it came to be because there were other people like me who wanted what I wanted and I wanted to fill the need. So we decided not to look for a traditional press and I self-published under our galaxy. Yeah. And we figured we would just use our galaxy as a press name. We would just post writing advice and create blogs and see how it went. But women kept reaching out and women kept saying, how can we work with you? How can we be a part of this community? And then I was like, all right, Linz, I guess we're publishing. Yeah. I guess we're going to publish. And so we did. And we started, I don't know, we like women started wanting to work with us. So we started signing contracts and our press started growing and we started building a community and then I started learning that there were a lot of women who wanted to self-publish. So I started offering them self-publishing services. And now we're basically a one-stop shop where it's like, if you want to traditionally publish or independently publish, we come to me and I will tell you all of the options yeah. and then lay them in front of you, you know? And yeah, so it kind of all fell into each other, which is why I just always say that it was literally just because I lived in my truth. Like, that's why all of this came to be is because I was open and honest and was like, yeah, my baby daddy did this. 
I'm not ashamed of it. Here's some poetry about it. Let's build community. And then everybody was like, well, I went through this and I went through this. And did you know this? And a press was born. And now already we're, we, we're transitioning as well into helping women with their starting their businesses and, yeah. and building their, their sales funnels and all of these things because it all boils down to story. Whether you sure. are a comedian or a mathematician or an artist or whatever it is, like if you're willing to live in your story and use your story, then you're going to find success. And so that's that's where I am now in the realm of, <laughs> of all of that. <laughs> so I, how does that work, the uh, kind of starting your own press like that? I mean, d- distribution-wise, are you... I mean, are you distributing? Do you find a distributor? I mean, who's printing the books? Who's distributing them? How does that all kind of play out? Yeah, so we have a lot of options, actually, which is really cool. Um, but what we do most of all is like we we really personalize everything depending on the person because yeah. I want them to feel like they're getting the journey they want out of the process. But yeah, I mean, we work with Amazon. I, I, you know, we work with expanded distrib- distributors like Walmart and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and uh, Book Depository. So we do, we work with those distributors um, mostly through print on demand services. Amazon provides print on demand. Mm-hmm. There are many other like Amazon, who, like I said, distribute to the bigger boxed, um, you know, online outlets, let's say. Um, but it, believe it or not, a much simpler process than I think people realize. Publishing a book is not easy. It's marketing a book that's hard. Right. Like, that's that's the hard part. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we do. We work with a lot of distributors and we um, we really base it off, like I said, uh, off of what the what the women want. We have some women who most of them are not even published yet. They're it's still in production, but a lot of the women, you know, don't want to sell on, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and they just want to sell on their website. So it's it, it depends, but we definitely have a vast amount of of resources to to provide. I just think, like for us, we actually eventually are going to be transitioning out of transitional um, traditional publishing because I just feel it's more empowering for women to take this as a brand building business opportunity and use their books for that. And I don't, I don't want them to be tied to my brand and having to make that happen for themselves. So eventually I don't think, you know, we will always go that route, you know, but, um, but yeah, we try to make every option available to them. That's for damn sure. What, what, uh, no, you said, I mean, you made a good point there that uh, publishing a book isn't hard. It's marketing it. What do you, yeah. what do you do to market? What are some of the ideas, you know, what are some of the best ways or advice you'd give someone to market a book? Well, once again, you what you wrote and what your book is about, it doesn't fucking matter. What yeah. matters is who you are and sure. why you wrote it. What matters is your story behind it. So I tell women all the time when they come to me and they're like, I need to market my book. I'm like, okay, I don't want to hear about your book for the next hour brain dump me everything about yourself I want to know you yeah you know and I I so I believe that the first step of marketing any book is to really figure out why you wrote it I always say we write the books that we think the world needs more of or the book that we need the most so why'd you write it right you know um nobody just wrote a book because they wanted a, a great you know romance scene or two and maybe for them it is but that's because they they're they needed that romance they needed whatever yeah. it was that they yeah. wrote so I think marketing a book is really about marketing yourself as a brand and how you can develop community. So for me, I, I, for me, the first step that I tell women is to identify what that looks like for them. For me, I, I, I'm a a single mom 
who owns a business. And yeah, I do use that to create my community about my book. Um, You know, so like, let's say if that's like my thing, we can use that as an example, you know, so um, I have reached out to, you know, reaching out to local press and um, making connections on other blogs, other podcasts. I think so many people have this conception that they should just hit publish and then post some stuff on social media about a book. But no, you really have to figure out how you can get your message into every door you can. So yeah. we build very personalized roadmaps. Um, and I do this with self-publishers too, but we build personalized roadmaps like a blueprint um, that helps you find people who are like you outside yeah. of the realm of just the literary world. You know, um, I have a friend whose son has autism and she wrote... Um, a great fictional story, but she does most of her marketing in the realm of the autism community because those moms are who she relates to. Those moms are who she's closest to. So I think it has a lot to do with that. It's really about figuring out who you are and and not so much to to consider how to market the book. It's about marketing your, yourself. I tell women all the time, you are not a self-published author. You are a self-made businesswoman yeah. now. Like, this is who you are. You are a business the moment you hit publish. And it's very important for me to have people take their books as a business mindset. You should be, be creating sales funnels. You should be thinking about a business model for your book. Like, yes, yeah. those things matter. And that makes all the difference of, of the type of success you're going to have. Yeah, the, you made an interesting point. The uh, I like the idea of finding out why you wrote the book because um, that, you know, a- authors, writers, I- I'm sure you can attest to this, Christine, are very, that you can get too close to a project you write where it's hard for you to see it from someone else's point of view. Um, yeah. So like, you know, you'll miss things that are very clear to uh, clearly missed to other people because they're not reading it with these kind of rose colored glasses or this investment that you are. Um, so like asking uh, an author to step back and ask, say, explain why they wrote it could be so helpful in figuring out how to market it because they're like, I wrote this book. I need to market this book. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. not you're not marketing this book. You're marketing your book. You're marketing a piece of you, you know? Um, yes. I, I always used to say about, you know, things I wrote that, you know, every work of fiction is based on a true story. Now, whether mm-hmm. it's, whether it's 1% of truth and 99% fiction or 99%, you know, truth and 1% fiction, uh, you know, it depends there's details that are mired in, you know, embellishment and things like that, but, uh, finding out that core and then using that as a base to, of where and how to market it is really pretty, pretty genius. I think. Yeah, for sure. And I do think it's a missing mark right now. Many times I think we're all looking for how we can be more marketable for the marketable for this like mass market concept, Yeah, but we're not ever putting into perspective what that actually means for us as an individual so yeah i think it's everything and i don't think that a lot enough people are are paying attention to that and it's also very empowering too like who wouldn't want to just walk into a room and know who they are is enough to to make them money yeah you know so i love that's why we do so much mindset work too i I, and i do mostly mindset work more than anything else because it's like just getting yourself to the place to think that your story is worth it is enough for you to market that book so yeah that's everything to me that's the most rewarding part of 
doing what I do too, is, is watching somebody be like, oh, wow, like there's a purpose here. There's something bigger here. Right. You F- know? Finding that, realizing what it is. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of writers probably just don't look at it that way. You know, they're not, they, sometimes you need that outside source to point something out to you that's, and once you see it, you're like, oh, that's so obvious. Like, why would I, but you would have never, you know, you read it a hundred times and never understand that, you know, those yeah, little, little but things. we also see all the other creatives as our competition. And that's a big problem too, because we spend so much time sizing ourselves up to everybody else's journey that we actually miss the mark on what they're really doing because we pay attention to those people that are the most transparent, but we don't, we don't realize that it's their transparency that's keeping us on their platforms and keeping us, yeah. keeping them with us, you know, and, and vice versa. So yeah. And, and that's another big thing too, just that competition mindset in general, like, yeah, we all want to be competitive and that we all want to do well. But at the end of the day, other creatives are your friends. Other creatives are where you need to be. Work. The more we work with people like us, the more space we create for that work to continue to be done. Yeah. You know, it's not a one and, you know, there can only be one type of concept. And that's a, a terrible, mis- once again, in my city, especially, it's a terrible misconception in a lot of ways, you know? So I think that's another thing too. We we size up these journeys of success without really ever even breaking down how that would even mean, look, feel to us to begin with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everyone sees someone else doing something similar to them and thinks that they're taking their spot when they should just be building their own spot. Yeah. Right next to them. I mean, the more we are, the more we're stepping into the light, the more there needs to be light. So that just means it's going to get brighter, not darker. I really do believe that. And I've seen the proof of it because I've had more success and have seen more women have success through working with other creatives and being in a creative space than trying to win it or trying to figure out how they can come onto the top of that space and just just wanting to be in it with other people like them and having that be enough. I, I have so many women, especially poets I, that I cheer on all day long that sometimes I feel like I promote them more than I promote myself, but you know what? I believe in what they're doing and that's enough for me. That's part of this. That's part of being a creative is supporting other artists. And and that is also something that's huge in my world. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people in those spaces get, mired in the uh the idea that you know everyone else's competition i know you know it certainly happens in comedy someone sees other people doing well and they get jealous instead of you know don't look at it as your spot look at it as just someone else doing well and that makes comedy do well or writing more attention to it and creates more opportunities you know Uh, if if you think someone else is is replacing you in a spot you're not doing what you should be doing well enough you just need yeah. to do do better, do better, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and figure out a way to make your own spot where they, or make it so you're the one that people are after. There's, there's room yeah. for that. So, yeah. And we could be after multiple people. Why the heck yeah. not? You know, who says we can only like one poet and one comedian, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. And I love what you said. If one comedian is successful, then they're successful for the good of greater good of comedy. Yeah. And that's big. That's everything. So when one writer, one female writer is successful, that's a win for the collective. Right. Like I was saying before we we got on this call, Tainted Lionheart, my first book, it just 
just one reader's favorite for 2021. And there were so many women congratulating me. And I'm like, no, this is ours. Yeah. Like we fucking did this. Like we did this shit together. Like this isn't just me. Like, yeah, I wrote the book, but the, the concept, the purpose that we can live in our truth this way and win awards for it. That's not my win. That's, that's all of our win. Like yeah. that's something that every woman should take and see and say, we fucking did that. You know? Yeah. There's a takeaway for everyone there. I like that. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Christine, I gotta, we're going to uh, move into the last segment of the show here. The last segment of the show we do uh, is called The Rundown. It is okay. a uh, segment we do with all our first-time guests. It's just a series of questions we've put together over the years here at the Social Hour. Uh, just some random questions. They don't mean much individually, but you just start putting them together. They kind of paint a tapestry of who someone is. Uh, so we're just going to ask you some random questions and, uh, Let's do it. you know, just a rapid fire. See what you think. Answer them as, uh, honestly as you can. Okay. You got it. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll start with this one just because yeah, as a writer yourself, uh, what would the name of your autobiography be? Oh my God. <laughs> honestly, I always say that I am the writer who didn't write. So I think that would be what my name, the writer my, my who autobiography write. is the writer who didn't write. The uh, writer who didn't write by Christine. Mm -hmm. Warner. Okay. Um, that's a good one. That makes it, that's a, it's catchy. It's catchy. Yeah. Um, are you ever going to write an autobiography? I'm working on a memoir actually right now, okay. but it feels so fucking pretentious, like to oh, just talk yeah. about myself. So I don't know. <laughs> is, is there a bit, what's the difference between a memoir and autobiography? Memoir just seems like a romantic autobiography. Yeah. So memoir is like, basically you're choosing one specific milestone or period in your life to create an overall theme on about yeah. one specific event that draws into the collective and an autobiography takes you through the, the, mm -hmm. the Every, whole the range, whole. like. Christina as a baby, Christine in puberty, yeah. you know, the whole thing <laughs> on and on and on. Yeah. 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 To me, I just, memoir just seems like a fancy. Someone wanted to say they wrote an autobiography, but wanted to say it at a cocktail party. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a, mem it's a yeah, memoir. memoir writer. It's a memoir. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, all right. Uh, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh my goodness. Honestly, if I'm going to do karaoke, it's got to be rap music. So like, clean out my closet by Eminem okay would probably be my first choice. that's a good one <laughs> uh is there some uh catharsis with cleaning out your closet that song oh I just I just love the verses of that song I think he's incredible with wordplay and yeah there's a lot of fucking angst in that track yeah I like it there is I like it <laughs> So on the topic of hip hop, uh, um, there's a recent, uh, you know, Kanye v. Drake. Or how do you feel about that? Um, I would be lying if I said I knew much. Okay. Like I honestly, as, as a matter of fact, Drake's "Thank Me Later" album was dope, but never listened after that. I think Kanye's a madman, but also a fucking genius. So I don't even know what to say about him. So yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm, I'm gonna say I'm, I'm out of touch. That's all right. I am too. Uh, I'm too old for that. I, I do. Yeah. I, it's funny because I love hip hop. Grew up on hip hop in the 80s in mm -hmm. L.A. But man, uh, the new stuff like that is uh, my actually for people who uh, listen on the 400th episode. Next episode of the show, we're doing a breakdown of uh, some Kanye West versus Drake versus things. My style of hip hop. And we'll, uh, so stay tuned for that, listeners. Love we, it. we do a Very whole deep cool. dive on. Uh, uh, <laughs> what i think is good music um 
How about speaking of music, uh, what's a guilty pleasure song of yours, Christy? Like a song, uh, usually I describe it as if you're driving down the road and you pull up to a bus stop and you have it blaring in your car, the window's got to go up. But since you don't drive, something similar to that, you know, you're playing a song loud, you know, a song that you like, if you're at the gym with your headphones on, you wouldn't want your Bluetooth to die so everyone in the gym could hear it. What's a, you know... Oh, I'm like a total believer. So I'm going to say that I have definitely gone back and listened to Justin Bieber's old music. Okay. In in recent years. So like, yeah, I mean, I'm also a huge Dolly fan and nobody oh. really res- in my life respects country music. So okay. that's also something that I, not that I'm ashamed of, but that I am like, yeah. I'm listening to that. Interesting. But yeah, I would say I would say Bieber though because I'm 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 a sucker. I'm a believer. Okay. All right. I like the Dolly Parton though. That's I think Dolly how first of all, how did you end up a Dolly Parton fan in New York? Was your mother a Dolly Parton fan? What was it? Where no, did, where did God, you pick her up? No, God, my mother loved like Pat Benatar and Linda Ronstadt. Okay. Like those are her people, but I um Dolly, I watched an interview of Dolly one time where she was saying how she grew up really poor and she saw the neighborhood tramp in her area and her, her mom pointed her out and called her a tramp. And she was like, well, I want to be just like her one day. And I thought it was such a cool, Interesting. <laughs> I thought it was just such a funny, like, <laughs> wow, Dolly. And I, you know what it is? I respect the fact that she's like this self-made businesswoman, like total open about the fact that she's completely fucking plastic from head to toe in surgery and sure. like totally owns the fact that she goes out there with her extremities because she knows people pay attention to her. And yeah, I, I, she came up in a time in music when women were not taken as seriously. So sure. I just love her story. I, yeah. So okay. I just started listening to her music and she's a dope songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. I think she, uh, she doesn't get her due. Also, you know, you say country music. I think she transcends country music uh, as to just like, she's just like a musician. You know, it's more I would than agree. Just I would music. agree. And she calls herself a songwriter first, more yeah. so than a singer or anything. So I would agree. She's a storyteller. Yeah. A lot of her work is narrative. And so I, I, I respect that. Yeah. I think she doesn't get her due, uh, you know, for, I agree. for a lot of reasons. Maybe, maybe because of the era she came up in or that she is considered yeah. kind of a country artist. You don't really take a country artist seriously as a, uh, maybe partly that she's a woman and partly because of the plastic surgery stuff. People just don't take her yeah. seriously, but yeah. um, very, very talented, very underrated. Yeah. I agree. I, I'm grateful that you said that. Thank you for that. That's yeah. very validating. Yeah. You no. <laughs> well, yeah, she, I think she's great in that you, no one really uh, brings her up enough or, or kind of they do. It's almost like a punchline in a weird way. Yes, you know? I agree. I so, agree. Not me. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Um, let's see. What is, uh, what's the worst, uh, gift you've ever gotten? (laughs) Um, well, I mean, I've gotten a, I'm sorry, I forgot our anniversary for the third third year in a row gift <laughs> what what was that count what was it and it, they were flowers from the bodega okay and my favorite chocolate bar all right what's your favorite chocolate bar oh i'm like a fucking like sucker for a three musketeer like i go hard for three musketeers, three musketeers huh okay yeah yeah, I ride hard for them. So yeah, that's what it was. They were bodega. Well, I don't even know if you guys know what a bodega is. Uh, yeah, but they were yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, okay, they were they were store-bought flowers, not from a flower shop, because right. he forgot our anniversary for the third fucking year in a row. But also in the third grade, I had a friend show up to my birthday party and give me an AC, or is it RC? RC bottle of cola. Yeah, RC. And a, Yeah, it was an RC bottle of cola and a card that was used. She scratched it out, put my name in it, and there was a dollar inside. <laughs> yeah, I find that charming. In, in an odd sense maybe that's maybe that's the catholic in me who hates myself and it doesn't think anything's i'm not good enough for anything uh that like would find that super charming and also like yeah that was, at least you got me something that was very nice right of you. she remembered me she yeah. remembered me she didn't forget right. she didn't forget for three years so i guess it counts for something yeah i mean i'm not good enough for a don't buy me a new card just if you got an old one hanging around that's fine uh, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Just like, don't buy me Coca-Cola. I'd rather the RC. Right. That's I'm, fine. We are not good enough for Coca-Cola. Name brand no. is not. We're Western family only. Uh, <laughs> the, the Kroger. Um, what I got a question about the candy bar, though. Was it king-sized at least? It was not, actually. Damn, um, that's I'm cold. Sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was one of those like two-for-a-dollar specials at, at Rite Aid, and he only gave me one. He even took one for himself. And uh, I had a baby with that man. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, yeah, luckily you don't anymore. Well, I mean, you still do, but, you know. Um, yes. So, oh, the, so um, just because you said you like a baby Ruth, you said, sorry, Three Musketeers, you said, not baby Ruth. Yeah. Three Musketeers. That's an interesting choice for a candy bar. Uh, I respect it. I'm going to ask you for about three candy bars, and I want you to put them in order, okay? Okay. Um, Snickers. Mm-hmm. Reese's and a Twix. Um, Snickers, Twix, uh, Reese's. That's Reese's my last, huh? No Reese's. For yeah, you. it's so funny too. Right here in my, uh, my, I have a Reese's wrapper on my my dresser right now. I was eating them in bed last night while I was working. <laughs> well, at least you recently you've recently tested your hatred of them, and you're like, still don't like them. Done. Yeah, you know what? They're, they're like these the dark chocolate thin ones, mm. and those are just special to me. I fuck with those. Oh, really? <laughs> See, I want one that's all peanut butter. I don't want the like it's the that peanut butter they use is magic. It's not peanut butter. There's no peanut or butter in any no, of that fucking thing. No, and it's probably thing. fucking deadly, but yeah. still delicious. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, all right, next. Uh, let's see. Next question. Um. Okay, uh, this is interesting, especially given your uh, background and what you do. Um, if you could be a, a, a man for one day, any man, who would it be and why? Spend a day in one man's life. Spend a day in a man's body. Oh, that sounds a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like... Um, I would have wanted, I would have want, I don't know if you know who Samuel Beckett is, uh, but he's a writer, he's a novelist, poet, and he had a really weird mind, and um, I would love to have been in his head for a day. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe I would choose him, but I know this is going to sound crazy, but I kind of almost, kind of almost would have chose my, I, I instinctually was going to say my daughter's father interesting like you, i would yo, love to be in that mindset for a day you don't want to know that you don't want to live with that you're past that christine you don't want to spend your life with that stuff yeah maybe it's be, maybe it's be yeah maybe, maybe that's what it is maybe it's because i'd be like i could do this better yeah i don't know who knows but yeah maybe <laughs> samuel beckett samuel beckett might be a good one 
I, yeah, I feel like I'd want to be in like somebody's like corrupt's head though, like Charles Manson or some shit. For a day, yeah, kind of figure out yeah, what the Yeah, if I'm going to do yeah. it, why not like see what the fucked up side of life is like? That's true. If it's for a day, I got to Samuel Beckett that name sounds familiar. Where would I know him from? I don't know. I'm not really sure. He's I I I I know his poetry. I know him as a poet mostly, hmm. but yeah, sounds, um sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, I'm not maybe. I, I, I am sure that you've heard him referenced before. Okay. I am sure that you have. Uh, all right. So somewhere between Samuel Beckett and uh, Charles Manson. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that in between for myself, actually. Okay. I like that. Uh, um, let's see. Um, if you could go back to any time in history, what time, where, any moment in history, where would you go and why? I definitely would want to be living in the age where people didn't know how terrible drugs were for them. Oh, like I would love yeah. to be in that like late seven, like late sixties, early seventies, even era where it was like, no, everybody thought it was just peace, love and happiness. And nobody <laughs> realized that most of those things were going to like turn them into crackheads sure, and ruin their lives. Sure, yeah. uh, I would have, I would have loved to have been in that ignorant time frame. I am petrified of man-made drugs, but it would have been cool to have given it a shot back in the day. That's so funny. Hold on a second. So I had a decades dance party at my house last Saturday. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, well, other people organized one at my house and forced me to be a part of it, to be completely it. transparent. Uh, so because this is how much effort I put into life, I just created, I just wrote on this shirt. I put 1930s when cocaine was medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, that was my, that was my shirt. 1930s cocaine was medicine. I uh, love that. <laughs> see? That was lit. Uh, yeah, get it. <laughs> that was literally. I'm like, that's that. Yeah, this is it. Uh, so yeah, and I've never, I've never done coke before. I have no desire to try coke. I got to tell you, but if I lived then, I would have been giving all of it a shot. Sure. Like all, give me the all of the psychedelics as well. I mean, I fuck with shrooms. I love mushrooms, but anything else, yeah. like I want, I would be real in the mullet. So you haven't you haven't done the drugs? No drugs for Christine? Just no, like I said, just mushrooms because it comes from the ground and I am definitely a bit of a stoner for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. I I quit smoking weed a long time ago. I've definitely experimented with all the drugs, but uh quit smoking <laughs> weed. I do mushrooms I I do quite frequently. Uh, really yeah. do you do microdose? I do. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I I do microdose pretty regular like uh I used to do it like a regimen. Now I'm just like kind of catch as catch can, you know, every couple of days or, you know, I'll do a couple of days in a row. Then I won't for a few weeks. It's not like a, I used to do like five days on seven days off, like a regimen. Um, and then, really? Yeah. Yeah. I did like a whole systematic, like whole regimen, like they say you should kind of this. Uh, um, and then I, then I went to doing just, I stopped doing that and started doing just literally like through the whole pandemic for a year just every thursday i would do like a like a whole dose like i do about two grams and just um go walk around downtown in the city i live in and take pictures uh <laughs> really see i have yet to be in public i'm a little nervous oh see i i i love being in i have no problem like i'm fine um so 
uh, yeah, that's it's. I think it's great for you. It was really helpful for me. I was going to therapy at the time when I started microdosing and really just kind of trying to get my head in order a little bit. And it helped yeah, a lot. Oh, I, it changed my life, honestly. I've only had three experiences so far with mushrooms, but every single one was mm. absolutely life-changing. And I try to recommend it to people as much as I can to yeah. give it a, a shot at least once in their lives. Yeah, it's one of those things that seems has such a big stigma tied to it. And it really... Um, they really shouldn't. Cause I mean, I, I know friends who are like, Oh, I'd never do that again. Cause I'm like, yeah, you did it in high school and you ate way too much and you freaked out. Like you got, you don't mm -hmm. use it as a party drug. You use it. Right. Or, yeah. You use it as something to, you know, if you're in intention, setting your intention before you go into yeah. it is so huge. Yeah. You know, I call it ceremony. I say mushroom ceremony because yeah. that's what it feels. It feels ceremonious. It's very much something that I have to set the vibe before, during and after. Absolutely. Definitely create an intent around know what I'm looking for when I'm going into the situation and accepting the fact that I'm going to have the high that I need to have. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I think that happens for sure. Absolutely. And like I said, I, like I smoke pot regularly. I don't know what life would be like without that but like i <laughs> so i smoke pot regularly but the mushrooms was definitely something that was like oh so this is beautiful and so many people have this terrible notion about what it represents and what it means same thing with pot so yeah. I, i'm glad that i don't give into that stigma the is is pot legal in new york now What's finally the... oh my god yeah. finally just after i had my kid it became le uh, like okay just this year actually really? it became legal Okay. Yeah. That's so you can like buy it at a store, like walk down the store, pick up what you want. There are no dispensaries really yet. Like okay. it's very hard to find. So I'm still black market buying, but you know, yeah, we're making it work out here. Yeah. You should Prices to... have gone up, but yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, you should come to Washington state. There's literally like every corner. There's just a store you walk into. They have all the weed you want. You oh, can smell it. Like they got... It's so crazy to me. Cause I mean, I grew up, you know, when it was like, super shady and you had to buy it from a dude in an alley and it was shitty mm -hmm. weed and now you just walk in they're like here it all is you know, how much do you want of it and you're like this is yeah this is crazy yeah that's, honestly that's powerful for me it's a cause it's something that i actually very much believe in and um i hope i can get in on that one day either as a grower or a distributor or something that's yeah. definitely a passion of mine that i would i would love to pursue yeah uh all right we'll end we'll end on this how about uh in a uh, since, you know, we might, America might be going that direction of the whole world might be given everything that's been going on in a, uh, zombie slash doomsday apocalypse scenario. Uh, how, mm -hmm. how long do you think you'd survive for? Um, I 100% already have it in my head that I would not try to survive something like that. <laughs> like, Take the up. fucking power back day. and kill my damn self. Just day one. Hide my body someplace. Like I, I keep, I said in my head, I've thought about this. I would like to put my body in a place where hopefully the zombies will take a long time to find me so that my soul can go where it needs to. But I very much would just fucking off myself. Really? So no, no apocalypse for me. Even, even I don't want to make it into the new world. What, what, um, what made you decide what, what was it that made you think about that a lot that you should, well, I, I, you know, it's just been something that people have asked before, like, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse type of thing? And I'm like, hell no, I'm not fighting no fucking zombie apocalypse. Don't you know me? No way. <laughs> Knowing me, I would like see a zombie and be like, 
what can I do for you? Have yeah, you how, eaten? Yeah. You know, you so help? like it, it's not, it's not my thing. Just I'm tell not... me your story. Where have you been? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would, I'm ready to go to the next round. All right. That's fair. Fair enough. Yep. I like that answer. Yep. Um, okay. All right. Well, uh, Christine, uh, tell everyone where they can find you, social media, website, uh, et cetera, and, and your books too. And the, the new yeah, one coming yeah. out. Yeah. So, um, you can, you can find us at our galaxy um, which gives you a little bit of rundown of everything we're doing and more about our team. Um, there are incredible women on our team and, uh, but I'm, I'm on social media as Be A Colorful You. That is my username on IG. Um, my book is Tainted Lion Heart is my first book. My second book is I Got To Know Nature. And they are available everywhere that books are sold. And if you are in New York, you can basically go to any bookstore to purchase them. So that is me. <laughs> okay, great. Well, guys, uh, check out Christine, follower, um, contact her if you're looking to get something published. Uh, buy her books, uh, support her, and support art in general, writing, yes. uh, music, comedy, and much, much more. Anything else before we get out of here, Christine? No, this was great. I enjoyed talking to you. You're dope. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. We will do it again soon, I hope. Uh, keep me posted on any other projects, and we'll we'll chat again. So. Absolutely. I will be in touch. You're going to have to come on my cast now, so we'll talk about that soon. I, I would love to. I would love to. We'll, yeah, we'll make that happen. So, uh, awesome. All right. all right, guys. Well, follow, follow Christine. Like I said, make sure you uh, check out everything she's doing uh, and support all the artists. Uh, as for me, again, go to dececomedy.com. Check out everything on the network. Follow. Go to the calendar because uh, I guarantee you we got live shows where you are, except for New York, apparently, as we discussed. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, every, Everywhere. Uh, mostly everywhere in America. Uh, so check it out. Get your tickets. Uh, a lot of those shows are selling out fast. So uh, that's it uh, for the social hour. Uh, I've been decent for Christine. Thank you very much, everyone. And we will see you next week. Yeah.